Hi. How's everyone doing? No pressure. So um, if you don't know me, uh, Nicole did a wonderful job of introducing me. Thank you. And you took like the first minute of what I was going to say. I'm Joe. I'm the youth lead here. Um, you might see me from time to time on the worship team. You might see me singing or I'm, I'm helping out where I, I can help out. But um, I want you to pretend for a second that you don't know me at all. You've never seen me before in your life. How would you describe me? You might say that I'm of average height. You might say that I have a beautiful beard. You might say that I'm Caucasian, I have light skin or, or brown hair. But I'm leaving something out. When you look at me, what, there's something I'm missing, right? Yeah, what, what is it? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Not what I was going over with, thank you. No, uh, I, I happen to be a large person. I am fat. All right. I know, if you're watching online, the audience here is horrified. Just, I'm fat. It's, it's a fact of life. I am larger than the average person. And we have tons of things we, we call this. We call this rotund, being obese, being overweight, big. We do this with cats. We make up funny names for being overweight. Fluffy, chunky. Oh, Lord, he coming at the very end. It's a fact of my life that I am bigger than the average person. And I've had chairs break underneath me. I've had to do the walk of shame off of roller coasters. It's a fact of my life. But when you get down to it, it's something that the Bible calls sin. It is something, an imperfection of myself. Our spirits have been reborn by the blood of Jesus Christ, but our bodies are still imperfect. It's imperfection. And for 34 years of my life, God has called me to be better. And I've largely ignored that call. And, and yes, I, I have a thyroid condition that makes it hard for me to lose weight. Yes, I'm genetically predisposed to having a hard time at losing weight. But I've also leaned on those very heavily to be excuses, and they shouldn't be. I stand here on the stage today wearing sin on the outside. I stand here unworthy of being in the position that God that I've been put in, but God, in his grace, says, yes, you're blessed and highly favored. Yes, my identity is not in what you've done wrong, but what I've done for you. Today, I want to take a look at God's grace. We've been talking about how good character is, is important in the body of Christ and how we should talk and walk as mature Christians. And today, we're going to be talking about Grace. Uh, Nicole read the verses before. We're going to start in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Webster's Dictionary defines grace as unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regener regeneration or sanctification. And that is a, a wonderful definition of grace. It's a succinct definition of grace. 
but it's also shallow. There's so much more to grace than what I said just there. So we're going to do a deep dive on grace today. This is the gift that God has given us. He's given us freedom from death. He's given us the ability to power through life's challenges. All freely given, all undeserved, because nothing we've done would ever make us worthy of God's grace. But he's given it to us freely. He's given us new life. So how do we respond to this gift of grace? God's given us this gift. What are we going to do with it? The life of a Christian should be filled with God's grace. And God's grace should be so evident in us that we can't help but reflect it to other people. We are beacons of God's light and grace. So our big idea for today is this, that a life in Christ is a life infused with grace. And through these next few verses, I'm going to look at a couple different areas for exactly, to uh, that Paul, it, the lenses that Paul puts grace through. So we're going to see how grace shows up in these different ways. The very first thing, grace shows up as, as it's grace through a well-trained life. In verse 12, Paul continues on, grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright upright, and godly lives in the present age. The subject here is God's grace. God's grace trains us to be better. God's grace makes it easier for us to set aside those things we have challenges with and pursue his glory, to pursue perfection while being imperfect. God's grace motivates us to, to renounce ungodliness and enabled us it enables us to embrace self-control um as a teenager my my parents were involved in a local ambulance squad and as one thing led to another i also became an emt uh, i was an emt for 15 years and uh if you don't know what that, that means it just means i i went on an ambulance i picked up people from their houses or, or from whatever i took them to the hospital and not everyone can do that. Like you, you run into to lots of blood, lots of smells, lots of awful things sometimes. And then you need to pick up and carry on with your life. And anyone in the medical field has run into this as well. And there's lots of people who can't handle that. Lots of people say, oh, the sight of blood just makes me... Ugh. The smell of whatever makes me... Ugh. But I grew accustomed to those things at... at kind of an early age, and so much so I could handle those things and then be like, all right, that was terrible, let's go for dinner. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> there was a disconnect there, it was, it was weird. But that's just how the medical field goes sometimes. But I blame my, my mother. I, I, uh, I remember being like five or six years old and sitting at my little table and eating like mac and cheese and chicken nuggets and she'd be watching the operation on TLC. And I don't know if you ever, if you remember that show, but it's, they filmed surgeries. Like they'd be cutting people open and taking out spleens and stuff. And it was, it was gross. But me at five and six years old, I was like, ew, gross. Hey mom, can I have some more chicken nuggets? It's cool. I was predisposed to handling tough sights and sounds. My proclivity for being okay for, with gross things allowed me 
to help people in their greatest time of need. It allowed me to aid people through some tough situations. Just like me being an EMS, God has given you grace to do what he's called you to do. He's given you grace. He's given you that tough stomach to handle what other people can't. God's created you with a purpose, and his grace is on your life should you choose to follow his way. I wanted to pull that verse back up. That grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Living a self-controlled life is hard. Renouncing worldly passions, make it the vice of your choice, I don't know, overeating, it's hard. Living an upright life is hard. But God gives us the grace to get through it because those things are they're impossible on our own. We can't do it on our own. We need to rely on God to kick whatever habits or to pursue the plan he has for our lives because we can't do it by ourselves. God's grace will give you the drive, the strength, the will to press forward. Next area I want to look at is, is um, grace as a future hope. Grace and a future hope. In verse 13, Paul continues on, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a future hope that's given to us by the grace of God. God could have left us where we are, not just us, but humanity as a whole, as broken people with with no aim or direction. But God said, no, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to lay himself on the line. And nothing you do could ever make you deserving of this, but this is the grace that I've given you. God has a plan for this world, and, and he'll return someday soon. So we shouldn't live in fear of tomorrow. I don't know. I like watching the news. Sometimes I can't handle all the news because it's just a lot of bad stuff at me all the time. But sometimes the news makes you live in fear. Sometimes you see a bad situation and wonder, how is this going to affect me? What's going to come tomorrow. The anxieties of life can build up, not just from the news, just from living our everyday lives. We can live in fear of tomorrow, but that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to live with his grace, to look to a glorious future. This is my dad. Uh, He loved skiing and riding his motorcycle and helping people. He volunteered on the ambulance squad, like I told you. And uh, he, was, he was the spitting image of a, of a 1980s movie star. We would, uh, we'd, anywhere we go, he was, he was usually wearing his aviators. And like in the summer, he'd wear these really short shorts that were really popular in the 70s and the 80s. And they are not popular anymore for guys. But he stuck to it. And we, we'd call them his Daisy Dukes. In uh, May of 2020, he died. He was amazing. He was a, um, a building engineer by, 
by trade. He worked in Jersey City. He'd work on these high-rise buildings, making sure all the, the heating and stuff worked. But that wasn't his passion. His passion was helping people. He loved to help people. He mentored young adults who wanted to enter the field of EMS. He was always looking to help his friends. He had a truck, and if you have a truck, maybe you have friends who call you up and say, hey, can I use your truck? And I swear, it was like once a week, once a month, someone was like, hey, can you help me with this thing? We need your truck. So we always had a truck throughout our lives. He was always willing to drop what he was doing to help someone in need. And it's a value that he's instilled in me and my siblings. And I'm forever grateful for that. In early 2019, he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And for a year or so, a year and a half, I watched his body become ravaged by this disease. It took away his ability to help people. If you don't know what it is, ALS is a neurological disease, and it makes you unable to control your muscles. And over time, you dwindle into nothing. That's kind of what he did. Near the end, his body was a husk of what it was. He wasn't able to help people, and he was depressed from it, because that's what he loved to do. I love him dearly, but, and I wish he was still here. But his death was a welcome release from being trapped in a body. He couldn't move. On the day that he died, my, my mom and my, my siblings called me and they said, hey, we want to start hospice. Hospice, if you don't know, helps a person die in comfort a little quicker than they would on their own. So I was part of that conversation. I, I helped make that decision to say, hey, dad needs to go. And you might say, that's terrible. How can you say that about someone you love so dearly? I can stand before you today knowing that I'm going to see my father again, knowing that he currently has a better existence in eternity than being in a body he can't control. I took his death well. It's sad. But I take hope in the grace that God has given us to have a hope in the future, to have a hope in eternity. Maybe you've lost someone you love too. Maybe you miss them like I do. Maybe you haven't. Maybe there's someone something in your life that, that's causing you to fear for the future. Don't. Don't fear for the future. I, I, I can't rationally with my mind make sense of the fact that I'll see my father again someday. It doesn't make sense in the natural world. But if we live in faith and we live in the grace that God has given us, we can take hope in eternity. It doesn't make sense naturally. But God has given us grace to look for a hopeful future with him. And I ask you, are you living with hope in, e in eternity? Are you looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus? Moving on, we have a, our, our third area. It's um, grace and redemption. 
In verse 14, Paul continues on saying, uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus willingly laid down his life so that we could be eternally reunited with God in heaven. The alternative was, was that us, that we live eternally separated from God. And despite how poorly we mess up, despite how, how Jesus is, or despite whatever we do, Jesus' blood has purified us and it redeems us. Now, I, that word purify, I, I wanted to, to put the, um, I wanted to give you the definition. And to purify means to, to make pure, free from anything that debases, pollutes, adulterates, or contaminates. If you stand here today as a Christian, purification happened 2,000 years ago at the cross. It's done. By calling on the name of Jesus, you are purified. You were bought and redeemed with Jesus' blood at Calvary. And what was that purpose for? That purpose was to make us a thing God could use to do his will here on the earth. Um, if you know what this is, this is, this is Play-Doh. It's every parent's favorite carpet decoration. <laughs> and um, if you've uh, had a kid or are around kids, you know that um, sometimes kids don't take care of their Play-Doh and it, it dries out. This Play-Doh, um, it, it's, it's still moldable, but like you can't really make anything out of it. You can put the pieces together, but it still goes back to that form it was in. It's not really as hard as a rock, but it, it, it's just, I couldn't make a little duck out of this if I wanted to. The cool thing about Play-Doh is that if you rehydrated it, it's, it's pretty much back to where it was before, uh, aside from all the dog hair and the crumbs that are in it. <laughs> if you take this water and you work it, and you work it, and you work it. And this is going to take much longer than I have up here, but you're getting the point. If you, if you take this and work it around for a good five, ten minutes, it becomes something moldable, moldable and malleable again. The living water, as Jesus described it, is what has purified us. It's what it makes us whole. It's, it's what gets us ready to be used for God's glory. It makes us ready and, 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 and zealous or really wanting to do good works on God's behalf. That's what Jesus' blood has done for us. And what good would we be as, as ambassadors, as God's representatives here on the earth, if we weren't purified, if we, if we, if we were still like this clumpy Play-Doh that you, you tried to do something with, but it just went back to how it was. We wouldn't be great at preaching the kingdom of God. But Jesus' blood makes us perfect, despite what we've done. And we're going through a process of purification. Every day we should seek to gradually get better and better and better at the things we do for God's glory. And as we do, we fulfill God's purpose that he set before us. We are his 
possession, his precious possession, zealous to do good works for him. The last area I want to look at is, is um, grace in preaching, grace in speaking about the things of God. In verse 15, Paul says, continues on, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. When you speak the things of God, when you tell someone Jesus loves you, that, that God has a plan for your life, that better life is here for you, you do that with all of the authority of Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. Don't, don't let it get to your head, though. <laughs> um, I want to take a look at, at these definitions of, of the, word defi- uh, the word exhort and the word e- rebuke. Because you, you don't use those like in, in modern English. Like, I, yeah, I exhorted someone at work today. <laughs> that sounds like a crime. <laughs> like, <coughs> but exhort, exhort means to incite by argument or advice, to urge strongly. Rebuke is to criticize sharply or, or to reprimand someone. I, I have a son. His name is, is Parker. He's three years old, and uh, he's amazing, and he's a tornado of a, a person. Um, he, he, he is bright and intelligent and super cute, and you've probably seen him running around here, but uh, he doesn't always make the best decisions. And if you have kids... You'll probably say the exact same thing about your kids. You love them, but they don't always make the best decisions. They need to be corrective. And why is this? Why? Just because they're wrong? No, I mean, if you see me bring Parker to church, sometimes he's wearing what he wanted to wear. I'm going I'm to choose my battles. Like, it, just because it's not fashionable to be wearing two unmatching sets of pajamas, like, it's cool. But there's some decisions he makes that can get him hurt that can lead him down a wrong path. And I don't want to correct him just because I think he's wrong, but because I want him to have the best life he can have. If, if my son is doing something unsafe, I'm going to correct him. I'm going to exhort him. And sometimes I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure he doesn't hurt himself, to make sure he doesn't go down that wrong path. And sometimes I'm, uh, I'm a little too firm. I may uh, raise my voice a little louder than it needs to be. I may escalate the situation because I'm just over it. Sorry, kid. But my wife, she's a teacher, and she's great with kids. And sometimes she'll come into the situation to handle it in a different way. Maybe she'll make it fun. Maybe... She'll be a little more subtle in how she wants to guide my son. Her way looks a lot more like exhortation. To correct someone via suggestion. To say, hey, let's go this way. Hey, let's make this a game. Hey, let's do this thing because it's better. As opposed to me, like, I've told you for the fifth time, stop doing like. That's a rebuke. Her way usually works better. Be bold in proclaiming your faith. Be bold in telling people about the life you've been given in Jesus. Be bold 
Speak with all authority the things that Jesus has told you to speak. But be wise in how you do it. In uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. I give away, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. We can be right. We can be the most correct ever. But if we are trying to implement that correctness in a way that doesn't show love, we're just a clanging symbol. We're a noise that people don't want to hear. God's message is not delivered. Have you maybe tried to show correction to someone before establishing a relationship with them? Have you, have you positioned yourself as an adversary who's looking to make things right instead of a friend who wants better for their friend? Stopping that behavior is an act of grace, yes. But when you stop that bad behavior, are you being a reflection of God's grace? Are you being a reflection of his love to others? Looking back, we've seen four areas where God's grace should be evident in our lives, where we can take this concept called grace and apply it to different areas because it's a very broad thing. We went through grace as a, through a well-trained life. God's grace empowers us to do good. He empowers us to handle tough situations. God gives us great grace and a future hope. We can look to a bright future no matter how dim life may seem. Grace and redemption. God and his grace giving us who don't deserve it. Everlasting life is, is, is grace at its highest. He's redeemed us for his good purposes. And grace in preaching we should reflect grace, God's grace onto others. We should be beacons and bastions of his love to others. So why, why do we need to know all this? It's because life in Christ is a life infused with grace. Every step we take should show off God's love, show off how good God is, represent his grace. Grace. At the beginning of this message, I, I, I talked about how being overweight is a glaring issue in my life. It's not God's best for me. And, and I have tons of resources available to me. There's exercise plans. There's diets. I've tried a ton. What I haven't done is do anything consistently. The consistency of exercise and dieting has been my challenge. And in my own strength, I've proven with the myriad of diets and exercise plans that I've done that I can't do it in my own strength. I can't will myself just to lose weight because I would have done it already. 
to succeed in this goal, it can't just be my willpower. It can't just be a matter of my health, but rather a matter of my faith. To do this needs to require that I'm doing it unto the Lord. Just like God's given me the grace to handle terrible sights and smells, I can rely on his grace to help me lose some weight too. And maybe this is your moment to start living in God's grace. Maybe, maybe there's something in your life that needs to change. Maybe you don't wear on your sin on the outside like me, but there's still something in your life that God's been calling you to do, and it's been on the back burner. Let God's grace empower you. Make the change you want to make, not because you just want to, but because he's called you to. God's grace should be evident in every part of your life. And we have uh, these, these values that we pursue here at Wellspring. This one is called daily surrender. How can I pursue Christ-likeness today? If I'm going to lose weight, it needs to be through daily surrender. It needs to be consistent. It can't be a one-time thing. It can't be just another diet. And my challenge to you today is this. We wait for January 1st to make resolutions to change our lives. Don't wait. Make your New Year's resolution now. Start now. And maybe you're like me and you, don't, and you need to lose weight. Start now. Fun fact, I wrote this sermon. I started the challenge already. I got a head start. Sorry, guys. Um, but... Maybe you're physically healthy, but it's something in your mind that needs work. Maybe, maybe it's spending more time with God. Maybe it's taking a moment to pause and listen and, and think of love before you react to something. Don't wait till January. Don't wait for New Year's to change your life. Start now. Start today. Let God's grace permeate every fiber of your being, even the, even the things that you're trying to change about yourself. Live in God's grace to accomplish it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great grace that you've given us. Though we might mess up time and again, you still call us your children. You still call us to a better life. And Lord, we thank you that we can rely on your power, your strength, your grace to pull us through challenges to look into the future with hope, to proclaim boldly, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth. Lord, we thank you for today, and we thank you for that constant reminder that grace should persist all throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.